And this is lesson uh, seven or eight? Eight. eight? eight. Thank you very much. Nice to know people know where we are. Lesson eight, and it is the uh, 25th of October. Everybody knows the date. Too. Great. Um, we're looking at worship. Uh, this is a, as we've seen already, a lot of times we get confused with uh, certain words, especially in English, uh, uh, because we've attached religious significance to them. They come and have, they have a new meaning in our minds, and when we use the word, we immediately assume something that isn't, maybe it is, but maybe it isn't biblical. Uh, Romans 12.1 contains a Greek word. Uh, by the way, the Elenu does not contain the same word, uh, shaka, but uh, I thought the bow was the best I could find short notice. Uh, the bow was a good one. Uh, remember looking at action words. Uh, the Greek is uh, latreia, which is an act of worship. Uh, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable, which is your reasonable service, or some Bibles say reasonable, reasonable act of worship. Uh, Romans 12, 1. Last week, last week or two weeks ago, we looked at the word give, and the focus was on the giving of the wealth of the tithe. And we saw, though, that, that uh, sometimes the word tithe is misapplied. Uh, however, that the tithe presents us with a model uh, of how we are supposed to give. Is giving something you think about, or is it something you do? Uh, James said, James said, well, you think about it first, but James said, that in fact, that if, if all you do is ever think about it, you know, go your way, you know, be filled, be warm, you know, that your religion is nothing, uh, that it is, in fact, doing that matters. That's why we're, that's why we're doing this study. Um, today, we're going to look at worship. What is worship? Is it something you do on Shabbat, or is it something that the vast majority of the followers of Yeshua do on Sunday? Um, a lot of people think worship is an experience. Wow, wasn't that a great worship service? Wow, wasn't that, I mean, did we worship today? How do you know? Well, 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 I know, but when, when people say that, when we say that, what are we saying? We're saying, I felt something. Well, am I the focus of worship? Well, what does it matter if I feel anything? Right? What does it matter? If I don't feel anything, have I still worshipped? It's a good question. It's an event. You go to the worship service or the worship hour. It's a place. You go to the worship center, right? Or we go to the sanctuary. We go to the worship center. By the way, there's only one sanctuary, and it has not yet been built again. Um, a, a, it's a form. We do contemporary worship. We do messianic worship, don't we? It's a form of worship, right? Um, how about uh, it's fellowship? Boy, don't didn't I just love going to worship service? And you know, it's talk, 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 talk. You know, fellowship. Not that that's bad. None of these things are bad. But understand, that's what we use the word worship oftentimes. How about the appropriate balance? has to be just a little bit of singing. And in Messianic congregations, a little bit of liturgy. And then a little bit of preaching. And, then, and, and if you do it in the wrong order, people go, what's up with this? What are we coming here for? They're doing it wrong. <laughs> right? And like I said, the vast majority of followers of Yeshua sadly do it on Sunday. Oh, there's a worship day. It's the day of worship, right? Is that what worship is? And if you look at the Hebrew, in fact, you find out shaka, as I've written up here, shin, chet, hey, it has nothing at all to do with any of the things that I've said. It actually means to bow down, to prostrate yourself. There's another word that we're going to look at later that actually deals with some of the things we've been talking about with regard to worship services that we discuss, and that's the word avodah, which is service. And uh, if, you, if you know anything about avodah, is always temple related and it usually these days is prayer related. But the the word worship 
in Scripture is actually to bow, to physically bow, to bow down, to prostrate. It shows the picture of, uh, of someone who truly worships God in spirit and in truth. That is the manifold presence of God, the sheen. As we see, we, you know, when you walk into the temple, what was the first thing you saw? As you came through the tabernacle doors, the one door, excuse me, that you walked into the tabernacle, what did you see first? Anybody remember? What did you see first when you walked into the tabernacle? Outside. You're walking into the outer doors, uh, outer door, the opening. What did you see first? An altar. What was on the altar? All the time. Fire. That's right. So the first thing you saw. So we see this is the manifold presence of God. The fire of the sheen, right? The sheen, consuming fire. The chet is a covenant sign, right? It's a sign that, uh, that speaks of God's covenant to his people, a betrothal. Okay? So a chet. So a sheen, a chet. And then uh, lastly, the hay is, the hay makes a sound like 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 breath. It's an open tent. In the hay, the far the far left there, you see that little opening at the top? It's an open tent. It's life. It's and the ancient form of hay was was two man, a man with hands over his head. Behold, look at this. See the light comes in the hay. So this is the same idea. So it's the revelation that that the manifold presence of God upon those he loves. Interesting. Uh, worship does, by the way, oftentimes give feelings. Uh, certainly, uh, if you worship God in spirit and truth, uh, you're, gonna, you're going to be rewarded with the knowledge that you worship the almighty creator. Uh, but is that the focus? Is that where it's supposed to be? By looking at this word I've written down here, one can quickly see that worship of God should not be viewed as periodic or, something, or even something often uh, as a periodic experience, but rather that we should be created that we were created to be and to do. In other words, it should be our lifestyle to bow. A lifestyle of bowing. Um, I don't know if you know this. Uh, praying uh, oftentimes is referred to as davening, especially if you're going through a liturgy. Davening, what is the davening? Uh, people think of davening and they think of the constant uh, swaying motion. Those are not bows. That is not bowing to God. That is simply maintaining a rhythm. It's maintaining a rhythm so that, so that you can concentrate. Did you know that Jews rarely actually bow in prayer? They certainly never get down on their knees. Uh, that's reserved for the temple only. Uh, prayer, prayer absence of the temple. Although actually there is place for there is opportunity for prostrating oneself. Yom Kippur is a perfect example for prostrating oneself. Although you don't do it in a synagogue service, but uh, the uh, the only time that you're bowing is actually at various points that actually are considered most holy in relationship to God's name. It's very rare. Do you know why? Bowing's easy to fake. It's easy to fake. People see you bow when you're praying and they go, oh, so pious. So in fact, the traditions around bowing were to minimize that, that opportunity for faking piety. So you only bow at certain points. Uh, this is consistent with Yeshua's instructions to us. Be careful. How we, what we do in public that could be construed as pious, that we might sometimes start doing it just for other people to see. So, uh, not to minimize the actual bowing, because that's the first usage. Go to Genesis 18.1. It is difficult because zitzit or things like that, are external external acts of piety, we run the risk of doing for the wrong reasons. 
The question we should ask is, first of all, have we ever been commanded to bow? And the answer is uh, actually a couple places, but it's not a command of the Torah, right? However, we have been commanded to wear tzitzit. So you have to, you have to balance the difference between what you've been commanded and what could be fake. So what should I do? Well, I'll do what was commanded even though I could do it for the wrong reasons. Remember what we said? If you do something for the wrong reasons, eventually, hopefully, if you do everything for the wrong reasons, it'll be for the right reason. <laughs> it has an effect on you, in other words. God's commandments always have an effect on us. Genesis 18.1. Then the Lord appeared to him, speaking to Abraham, at the terebinth trees of Mamre, as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes and looked. Behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground. That's the first usage of the word shakha. Bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on, from your, on by your servant. Please, let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree and I, and I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to know your servant and said, do as, do, as you have, do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, quickly, make ready three measures of fine cake and knead it and make cakes. Fine meal and knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. So he took butter and milk and the calf, which he had prepared, and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree as they ate. So which was the, wor- which was the real bowing? You understand he had to act at first of bowing, right? He bowed down. But then what did he do? He followed it up with things that can't be faked, Right? He actually, his actions that followed the bowing measured exactly with his respect for these three. Specifically one we see later on. This is God himself appearing to them. So, so we see that he first acts what some people would say in a religious sense. Right? But then what happens is his life backs it up. How does it, how does it back it up? What does he do? Uh, he... Uh, on the next page, he ran to meet them. He bowed down. It's a correct view of God. He recognizes he's, he is subservient. He is under him. He begged for acceptance. He knows he's unworthy. He asked for a visitation. He knows that fellowship is a gift. He identified himself as a servant. His loyalty and his fealty. He washed the feet of his guests. He knows the difference between holy and common. He fed them bread. He knows relationship is based on covenant. Do you know why we always eat bread? I mean, every meal, if you have a chance, want bread. Why do you want bread? Because it's a reminder that God is, God is a covenant-keeping God. That's exactly why. That's what Hamotzi means. He brings forth bread. It means he's a covenant-keeping God. That's why they start everything with bread. <laughs> you don't eat bread if you're on a, if you're on a uh, Atkins diet, then, then, I don't know, it's tough. <laughs> um, killed, and he fed a good calf. He offers all. And he stood by, sweet fellowship with God. Do you see how each one of these measures, uh, measures Abraham's lifestyle? Did he know these three walking were special people? Uh, tradition says no. At first, actually, he's, he did everybody this way. You know, this is the way that Abraham, he's the, he's the model of hospitality. And I think that's probably true. But I, I, actually, I think he did know who these were. Or at least he had a... That's, yeah, Absolutely. Uh, go back to the previous page. That was, je- that was the first usage, uh, shaka. Remember, it's not an event. Worship is not an event. Worship is 
continuous. It has to be. Certainly, the religious aspect of worship, the bowing, the physical bowing, is an event. But everything has to flow out of that. It has to match. Has to has to has to be consistent. Otherwise, it wasn't really worship. That's the point. Go to uh, Genesis uh, 26:5. I'm back on the first page again. I apologize for getting out of order there, but I had to jump over there and do it while I was thinking about it. This is God speaking to Isaac. And he's passing the promises that he made to his father Abraham. He's passing them to Isaac. Actually, go up to verse 4. I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of the heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So it's not just Abraham's seed now, but it's Isaac's seed that God's going to bless all the nations of the earth. Why? Cause and effect. This is why. Because Abraham obeyed my voice kept my charge by the way obeyed is Shema kept my charge that's Shamar or treasured my charge my commandments my statutes my laws and and, uh, those words he Shema'd the voice of God he Shema'd I'm using English uh, variation of verbs here past tense Shema'd God's charge these are these are the things that God has Mishmeret his judgments uh, his uh uh, his, 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 uh, actually not his judgments, his requirements for God, for man, his commands, his commandments, mitzvot. Uh, uh, we, we can think of many mitzvot. What are, what's, what's, what's the most important mitzvot of all? Mitzvah of all. To love the Lord your God, right? It's a command. Uh, his statutes, chokot or chokim, depending on the, on the uh, feminine or masculine. Do you, do you know what a chok is? What's a statute? I keep having to do that. I've been, since Judah was really small, I would always say, not statues, statutes. He would always laugh. We shouldn't listen to God. We, should, we shouldn't think about statutes. Statues, we should think about statutes. Uh, uh, as you don't need to know why. That's right. In fact, as we looked at when we did Psalm 119, these are commands that seem to make no sense. God, you know, there are divisions of commands. The scripture actually has, does them, but it doesn't do them by ceremonial, moral, Civil, as as uh, some of our brothers and sisters are like to to want to divide them, but rather the divisions are based upon these words, and and a hoke is actually a law or it's an inscription is what it means an inscription it's an inscription that is comes from the king that bears no description as to why or reason why just do it the ashes of a red heifer make no sense how can something that makes one dirty unclean excuse me Make someone clean or pure. You know, it, it makes no sense. It, it, it baffles us. We, we, can act, we can offer no reason why the ashes of the red heifer work. And yet God said do it. That's a, that's a hook. And actually he says it's a hook. So you can actually know these, what these are. You can actually identify the ones that don't seem to make any sense by the words that he uses to describe them. So that's one. Huh? It's actually, it depends on whether it's feminine or masculine. It actually can change. It, the chok is, uh, in English you translate it, it's a C-H-O-K. Uh, or a chuk, because uh, it's a vav. It's a chet, a vav, and a, um, I think it's a, I think it's a kaf. And then laws, and I spelled Torah, 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 uh, wrong there. Uh, actually, maybe I didn't. Anyway, instructions or laws. Torah, Torah tot, or Torot. 
plural. The, the Torah, the first five books of your Bible, is that, you know, literally the Torah. However, all of God's instructions, the whole Bible is Torah, instruction, right? That's what it means, instructions. Instructions, as opposed to laws, right? Now, when, you read, when you read Psalm 119 or Psalm 19, it's sometimes a little bit, you know, if you read some things that says the law is bad, and then you read Psalm 119 and go, well, what was David thinking? He says, in your law, I delight. <laughs> Uh, because it's God's instructions. Why would you not delight in God's instructions? So, uh, this lifestyle, this lifestyle that Abraham lived was an act of worship. Go to Jeremiah 6, 16. There's a lot of people, they like, they like Yeshua's words, as I do, Matthew eleven twenty nine, but they don't necessarily know that Yeshua is alluding to another verse, and it is Jeremiah 6.16 where he says thus says the Lord stand in the ways as think about the first believers in uh, I shouldn't say the first believers the believers of the first century think about what they called themselves the way stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it then you will find rest for your souls. And then, of course, the contrary is, but they said, we will, walk, we will not walk in it. Now go to uh, uh, Matthew 11. Matthew 11, 29. This is Yeshua speaking. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Where do we find rest for our souls? Some people read that and they go, well, look, right there, uh, uh, God doesn't want us to be <laughs> burdened with his, with his instructions, with his commandments. I mean, come on, you know. That's too hard. As, as Peter said in, in Acts chapter 15, that was a burden too great. Neither our fathers nor us could bear. It was a burden too great. I mean, come on. Let's just, let's just love God and one another and we'll be fine. Of course, that would be fine if you knew what loving God and what loving one another was. <laughs> and the only way that you know is by what he's instructed you to do. Um, it's not just a nice thought. It's actually deeds. What is it to take my yoke upon you? Take my yoke. This is, now, remember what he's saying. He's speaking about his friend Abraham. Right? His friend Abraham found this way, God's ways as a lifestyle, was in fact his act of worship, his daily act of worship. What Yeshua means when he says, take my yoke upon you? My, that's right. Do what I do. As, as a, a, a disciple is not above his master. Uh, and people have a difficulty with this. I've heard people say, you know, that's all fine and well, but I'm not Jesus. Uh, but are you called to be like him? Eventually or now? There's also the scripture being equally Equally Absolutely. Absolutely. And, that, and that's, and that's, and I thank you, because that's exactly right. You know, when we are called to be like him, that may be, that may appear to be an impossible task, but I promise you, you'll never get, you'll never do it if you don't get started. <laughs> you know, people say, well, I'm interested in being Christ-like, you know, I want to be like Messiah. Well, then get started. Because it'll never happen until you do. You know, the idea that eventually, well, eventually we'll all be just like him, you know. Because as Second Corinthians says, we're going to see him as he is, right? 
So when we see him as he is, then we'll be like him. Well, that's, you know, that's all fine and well, but what were you left here for? You're left here to worship. <laughs> right? You're left here to worship, which means you need to start looking like him. He says, take my yoke upon you. By the way, this is a very Hebraic uh, statement. This is a very, very common. Uh, if you pull, pull out your siddur, you'll find the words used often. Taking the yoke of the kingdom. I read it in the Alenu. It's found in the prayers. That it's found in the Shacharit prayers, the, the morning prayers, where you recognize that the maker of creation of heaven and earth has created holy angels that stand before him night and day, and they constantly affirm him. They took his yoke upon him. They took his yoke upon them. That idea of taking the yoke means that you're doing, you're accepting his kingship. His leadership. He, by saying, take my yoke upon you, he's saying, you, I want you to be my disciples. Take my yoke. And, and Roseanne's exactly right. It's not something that he has not done. It's something he does with us. So when he says, take my yoke, he's not saying, you do it, but uh, you know, I won't. I know better. It's okay. It's just symbolic to me. <laughs> no, he's, he's saying, I did it. And... I'm commanding you to do it. You're not above me. You're, you're, my, you're my servants. You're my disciples. A, a, a servant is not above his master. And, he, and a disciple always does what his master does. That's what Yeshua said. But here's what's great. He says, For I am gentle, lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Another usage of the word yoke, phrase, take my yoke, is actually a recognition of how you do what God's commanded. It's the halakha, or the way you walk it out. Yes, So it has to look like him. He's holy, as he said. Be ye holy as I am holy. That's right. Uh, but this idea of, of putting on the, the, uh, the yoke is to do things the way that he has described them. Uh, how does one... Uh, think of something. How does one remember the Sabbath and keep it holy? What, what are the instructions given to us? Don't kindle a fire. Okay, we got that. It doesn't happen a lot, so it's not a real big problem for me. I mean, I don't have to light a fire to stay warm. So it's not a big issue for me. Put yourself back a few hundred years, it becomes a bigger issue, doesn't it? Don't kindle a fire. What else? What does the Torah say? It says, well, we have the instruction not to carry a bundle. You know, the man's carrying, carrying firewood, right? So it says, and it says no customary work. Actually, it says no, no manual work. So fire and work. What else? Nehemiah extrapolates that because he says extrapolates that because he says that it says you nor your servants should work. So he extrapolates that and he says when you exchange money, you're actually buying and selling services. Therefore, he extrapolates that. And Nehemiah says he closes the gates, the Damascus gates, on Shabbat because he doesn't want anybody to work. So we see that yes. So even though the Torah doesn't command it, there's extrapolated not to not to engage in commerce. Anything else? Dedicate to the Lord, holy to the Lord. Holy to the Lord. So, and we're supposed to rest on it lovingly, uh, be joyful. Uh, what's to rest? See, a, a holy convocation actually is not called for. Interestingly enough, assembling is not necessarily called for. Well, well, it isn't in, in it. Yeah, yeah. It's one of the not necessarily on Shabbat, but when it has holy convocations that are called Shabbat. So we extrapolate from that assembling on the Shabbat. What else? In, in your place. In your place. What's your place? Do you understand each one of these things carry a measure of interpretation? 
Well, what about if a fire's already going? Can I put wood on it and keep it going? That's called halakha. How you do what was commanded. The command just says, don't kindle a fire. Does, can I keep a fire going? How about this? In your place. Well, my house and my neighbor's house are really close together. We share the same fence. In fact, we live in the same community. We're like, like a house. It's a duplex. Can I go over to his house? How about this? I can, how far is too far? You know the idea of a Sabbath day journey found in Luke chapter 24 and also in Acts chapter 1? That comes from this idea of what's a, the halakha. What is in your place? That's where a roof, if you guys heard roofs, where people put a, uh, like a, in the modern times they'll put a, uh, a wire or a rope like in the trees, to define in a roof, right? And to make sure as long as that's within that fence, that rope, you can walk and you can carry things. Those things are, are ways of dealing with the commandments. Now, some things you may go, well, that's an extreme, but you have to understand, people are saying, this is a command, how do I do it? It's a desire to do it, right? You, one usage of the word or the phrase yoke, take my yoke, is this, my yoke, here's the way that I do it. And what does he say? For I'm gentle and lowly in heart. This is like the, uh, the description of the disciples of Halil, uh, contemporary, or actually a little bit, generation before Yeshua, where he was called gentle and lowly. And in fact, he had a light halakha, not a burdensome halakha. In other words, his way of doing it wasn't strict. It obeyed God's words. God said this, well, we do that, but this is how you do it, okay? How you do it. So what, uh, another way of looking at what Yeshua is saying is here is, for, in verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But I can tell you, I can promise you, the number one reason why his yoke is easy and his burden is light is because his halakha is correct, but also because he's our master. And he is merciful and compassionate. That's one of the reasons why, if you do what he did, it won't be a problem. It won't be, oh, I can't believe I've got to do this, it's too much. <laughs> you won't. Ever. If you just do what he did. Now, he doesn't tell us a lot of what we did, so we have to follow our... our our forefathers, the apostles also, and see what they did. Kind of work it out and say, well, you know, how should we, how should we do these things? Uh, but it is a way of looking at halakha. The way you walk out the commandments is one way of seeing Yeshua's words about taking my yoke. Yes? I don't get it right there. When you said that um, being gentle and... Um, he wasn't harsh. Well, like it being easy... Easy, easy to those who want to follow him. They are easy. Rick, they are easy. Rick, do you think about the yoke of an oxen? The lead oxen mm -hmm. carried the weight. Right. And so what it's saying is, if we're in league with him, he carries. He carries the weight. The weight. Sure. And then James says, casting all your care on him, for he cares good. for you. That's very good. He has the leading, he carries the weight. So that's what makes it easy for us. He's carrying the weight. Right. You, I could tell you some stuff, and you would say that's unreasonable. You know, that's unreasonable. I can't possibly do that. But at the same time, if, if you saw Yeshua did, if you, if you read it and say, well, that's what he did, you would not say that. You would immediately say, okay, well, he'll, he'll, he'll work that through me then. Uh, it's, you, our you, initial response to anything God tells us to do is usually that's unreasonable. <laughs> but we, when we examine... That's right. Sure. It's not easy in the sense that, well, I can take that, no problem. It's because we know that he carries it with us. And that's the key. Is The key is that that relationship, that relationship is what helps us deal with things that are difficult. They become easy because he's with us in them. That's exactly right. Good comments. Let's move on. Um, 
as I note here, the, the first usage of the word shakha is, is immediately follows God's, uh, is immediately follows with the promises, uh, excuse me, it follows where God makes promises. Isaac's coming. If you remember, these three show up. Remember, and uh, Sarah's in the tent. Remember, and they said, "This year, at this uh, at, next year at this time, uh, Sarah, your your wife will bear a son." And uh, Sarah laughs. Right, that's where we get the name Isaac. Um, and and uh, uh, but it, this promise of of uh, of the son is coming immediately after this. All, also, immediately er, immediately before this is the command uh, where Abraham is told to circumcise all of his all of his uh, all the male in his household. Uh, a commandment which he which he keeps, um, and, and I note here this is not only a personal commitment to obey God, but the establishment of a household uh, of worship. Even his servants, he 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 does this even on his male servants. Um, is that hard? That that's not not easy. Was that hard? Did that make any sense? Was that oh my burden is easy, <laughs> or my, my I'm I'm lowly and gentle? It's like whoa, this is pretty violent here. <laughs> but in that's it. That absolutely, and that's it. When he heard God say, "This is what I want you to do," it wasn't the first time he heard God speak, and he recognized God's voice because he had a relationship with Him. So when he heard God speak, he said, "Fine." I'll do it. Did we ever see, even when we get to Isaac? The trust. Abraham did it because he trusted, trusted God. Because he knew Isaac God. He did it because he trusted That's right. Abraham. And the servants did it because they trusted Abraham. That's right. It was a confidence because they saw the goodness of, and the mercy, and they trusted somebody like that. The binding of Isaac. I mean, is that does that make any sense? I mean... <laughs> could have his dad and run away. Well, not only that, but, but just for Abraham. It says he immediately got up and did it. He didn't like mull it over. It's like I mean, Abraham was one who like. But remember, all of these difficult things that God told Abraham to do were things that Abraham already knew because God Abraham already had a had a relationship with God, knew His voice, knew that God did what He said He would do, even though he had not seen it with his eyes. You know, and and he and he acted upon it. This is worship. Abraham is our is a perfect example. He is a perfect uh, model for worship for us, who acts in faith, recognizing that no instruction from God can possibly be bad. I mean, I, I, the Akedah, the binding of Isaac, is probably going to be the most baffling of all things. I mean, not just baffling that God asked Abraham to do it, but even more so that Abraham actually did it. That is remarkable. That Isaac actually did it. Those are those are true evidence of faith. That's worship. That is worship. Uh, the last usage I have here is in Zechariah chapter fourteen. Go. Uh, when I say last usage, actually we're talking about the Hebrew word uh, because Revelation twenty-two's got lots of worship in it. Uh, <clears throat> actually, all of Revelation does. Zechariah chapter fourteen, verse sixteen. And, and it shall come to pass that everyone who's left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem, this is the end of the age, shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. 
And it shall be that whatever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem. Is that as far as I'm supposed to go? No, 221. Come up to Jerusalem to worship the king. That's that word, to bow down. The Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain. If the family of Egypt will not come up and enter in, they shall have no rain, and they shall receive the plague of which the Lord strikes the nations who do not come up to the Feast of Tabernacles. Then this, this shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations who do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. In that day, holiness to the Lord uh, shall be engraved on the bells of the horses. The pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls b- before the altar. Yes, every pot in Jerusalem and, and, and Judah shall be holiness to the Lord of hosts. Everyone who sacrifices shall come and take them and cook in them. In that day there shall be no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. <clears throat> what the, uh, what's the significance of this and how does it relate to the, uh, to the first usage of this word? Uh, this is a prophecy at, at uh, you know, about, about uh, the end of the age, and, uh, but it talks about bowing down to the king, the Lord of hosts, and obedience. They, they have to come up to the Feast of Tabernacles. Why? Because he says so. We don't want to come up. I mean, is everybody got to come? I mean, do we got to go? You know? Of course, they haven't celebrated a Sukkot like we have. Otherwise, they'd say, can we go? <laughs> yeah. Rick in Isaiah 66 at the end, it says, uh, as the new heavens and new earth, that I made stand before me, declares Jehovah. It shall be that from the new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship me. Worship. Mm-hmm. Is that the same, same word? Same word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the English translators do a pretty good word use of this word in, 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 uh, in our Bibles. Unfortunately, you read that and you go, oh, worship. You know, it's kind of like a worship service or whatever. And it means bow down. <laughs> Literally, bow down before him. Um, uh, uh, so, obedience... I mean, you, you get to, uh, and because you get to, and because you do, it's obedience. Obedience is not bad. I know some people think it is, but obedience is good. It feels good. Knowing the, knowing the chol, that is common from the Kadesh. Notice here, says says the bulls, you know, all the bulls in Jerusalem will be, say holiness to the Lord. What's the significance of that? The bells on the horses. What what's the significance of of this idea that every pot in Jerusalem is going to be holy? What's that mean? Or that the area remember the remember the remember the tabernacle and the whole and the and the and the temple. Had levels of holiness. Remember, there was the holiest of holies, right? Outside that, there was the holy place, and outside that, there was the the, the courtyard where the offerings were made. And each level was a level in increasing in holiness reserved for God. Correct. And as you look at these levels of holiness, our our way in was to prepare ourselves. First of all, if you're going to go into the tabernacle itself, you had to be clean. You had to be tahor. Which meant you had to go through ritual immersion. You had to make sure that you had uh, had not engaged in certain activities in advance before going there, right? And then once you were in there, could you keep going? Only if you presented an offering, right? So that covered that portion of increase in holiness. And then only the Levites could go into the holy place, right? Because but they went as representatives of the people, and only in a state that was even more holy or pure, clean. And then only once a year could the 
high priests go in in an even increased state of holiness or in... So this idea of increased holiness. So when we read this in Zechariah, what we're reading is we're reading that God has expanded the holy place. So what does it include? Judah, Jerusalem. I mean, we're talking big temple here. That's right. And in fact, when you get to Revelation, we have hints of this. It says there's no temple. Why? Well, it's because it's all one temple. So, but does that negate the idea of holiness? No. In fact, it's not that he, it's not that he just, well, it doesn't really matter. You know, it's okay. Every, even, even the horse's hooves will be holy. No, no, no. That's not what it's saying. It's not saying that it doesn't matter. It's saying that it will attain a level of holiness. In other words, that holiness is going to be expanded here. But it's still a recognition that there's holy and there's common. Again, worship reminds us and recognizes. Worship remembers there's something holy and there's something common. In your house, there's something holy and there's something common. What's holy? In your house today, what's holy? I hope there's something holy. Okay? The wedding bed is holy. How about you? You're supposed to be holy. Why is there a mezuzah on your door? Why is there a mezuzah on your door if there's one on your door? Why is that there? Why? That's right. It's holy, right? You're supposed to be holy. How about how about the table that you sit down to eat? Is it holy when you sit down? What makes it holy? When you declare it to be holy. How do you declare it to be holy? That everything that you do, everything you put in your body is supposed to be an act of worship of not you, the Creator, the one who gives it. You bless Him. You bless Him maybe before and you're commanded to bless Him after. That's how you make it holy. If If you're satisfied, if you're not satisfied, you can keep eating until you are and then you can make it holy. (laughs) You understand that that the blessings, the, the blessings that we make are for the purpose of setting it aside for God. So when you see a rainbow and you bless God for the rainbow, you've made the moment holy. But, but, but Paul talks about every act. And, and Paul gets that from this, this exact... When we understand this idea, every moment is an opportunity for worship of the Holy One. And this idea of knowing the difference between common and profane, or common and holy, it's not that, oh no, this is holy. This is different from everything else. It's to try and expand holiness. Do you understand how you have been given the duty of bringing holiness into this world? God's holiness. We are ambassadors. We're the ones sent forth to bring holiness. This is, a, this is not just a Jewish idea. This is, a, this is, a, this is an a idea from the apostolic scriptures. We have been sent forth into the world to bring God's holiness. To, to, in every little moment, in every little thing, in, in tiny ways maybe, seemingly tiny ways, we worship Him by the things that we do, by bringing His holiness into it, by taking common things and making them holy. That's just remarkable when you think about it. See, you thought... Maybe Matt, you thought, but many people thought that there's so holy things, and boy, the never the t- twain shall meet. There's Sunday, and then there's the rest of the week. <laughs> or we go to the cathedral; that's a holy place. Or you pick up a Bible; that's a holy thing. And by the way, this is a holy thing. It should be treated. Anything that has God's name on it should be treated with reverence. It's a holy thing. It's it is precious to us. So when we get the idea that there are 
common things that we can make holy, common actions that we can make holy, by doing them in thankfulness to God, then we understand, we're beginning to understand worship and a worship lifestyle. Let's move on. Go to John chapter 4, verse 19. We're almost done. You all are patient with me. Thank you. John chapter 4, verse 19 through 26. Can I work and make a holy? Yes. How about, well, first of all, I'd have to work between Sunday and Friday to do it. But yes, I can make a holy. And, and in my work, how about, how about exchanging money? Can I make that holy? I mean, do you understand the things that people say, well, that's secular. <laughs> secular. You know, those are the way, opportunities for us to worship God. We worship God by working hard. You can absolutely vote and make it holy. <laughs> as long as you vote for the right person. Or more importantly, vote against the right person. Go to chapter uh, 4, verse 19. That, that, it's not a political statement. It's a statement of holiness. John chapter 4, verse 19 says, The woman said to him, Sir, I persist this is the woman at the well. She is, is she holy? No. She's a Samaritan woman. He's about to make her holy, though, I think. Uh, then the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet, speaking of Yeshua. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And you Jews, you know, she's obviously saying this, uh, the word Jews, by the way, is not in the original here, but uh, you Jews say that, on, that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Worship one worship. I mean, is it Jerusalem? What kind of worship? Bow down worship? Yeshua said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither, will neither on this mountain, Mount Gerizim, which is uh, in, near Nablus today, nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, which is true. Mount Gerizim had a temple on it, the Samaritan temple. It was destroyed by the Romans. And in 70 of the Common Era, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. And that's what he's speaking of. What you, what you worship, what you do not know. You're doing an okay job, but not quite. You don't even know who you're worshiping. That's what he's saying. We know what we worship. In other words, yes, the Jewish people got it right. For salvation is of the Jews. There is no salvation apart from them. None. No people have a hope except in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he's the God of the Jews. But the hours... I would say the God of the Jews because that's the language being spoken. Uh, does that include the ten tribes? Yes. But the hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such, such to worship Him. God is looking for worshipers. What is it to worship God in spirit and truth? God is looking for worshipers. He wants worshipers. It's not about a place, it's about a person, isn't it? Why would you go to Jerusalem? Because he's there. That's it. Because he's there. Before he was there, did it matter? No. Before Solomon built the temple, Jerusalem was it's a pagan city. It wasn't Jerusalem, but it was a pagan city. When Solomon built the temple, and God said, I place my name there, and forever will my I be turned to this place. That's what made it. Because he was there. He was there. It's not a place. It's, it's him. In fact, the place 
Hamakom is a circumlocution, a, an evasive synonym for using God's name. Instead of saying his name, you'd say Hamakom, which is the place. It's him. He. He is the reason for worship. He is the reason why they went. God is seeking for those who worship him all the time. It's in present tense. Continuous. Without stopping. In spirit. God is a spirit. It's about approaching him in an acceptable condition. It's about understanding you are lower than him. It's about a relationship with him. The idea that you should go to a worship service and somehow get something out of it is disgusting. You may get something out of it. But if that's why you go, that's not worship anything other than yourself. It's about him. Or it doesn't matter. It's a waste. Twisted worship. Uh, just to touch on these real quickly. Uh, Exodus 32.5, if you don't know this. This is where the golden calf. They have the golden calf and they're, 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 they, build, they make this golden calf in Exodus uh, at the foot of Mount Sinai. And you know what they immediately say? This is, and they use God's holy name. This is Hashem who's brought us out of Egypt. A golden calf. Now, one could say, hey, look, they're just making a model of what they thought he looked like, but they're still worshiping God. They're still worshiping God. Listen, nomenclature doesn't always matter, but sometimes it does. And we need to be very careful what we attach holiness to if it's not holy. And in this case, that's twisted worship. That's twisted worship. They may, be, they may have a form of godliness, but it's not real godliness. Uh, Leviticus 10 uh, uh, Leviticus 10, real quickly. Go Leviticus 10.1. Form and method do matter. Now, the Lord... Excuse me, wrong place. Uh, Nabab and Abihu, uh, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy, and before all the people I must be glorified. This is a very, very sad, this is kind of like Ananias and Sapphira, this is a very sad occurrence. I mean, it's like, the, the tabernacle is brand new. I mean, this is the first time we've ever done anything with it. Whoa, isn't this great? God came down and all of a sudden, poof, there went, there went Aaron's two sons. Well, wow, what a bummer. That worshipped everybody's, uh, or that ruined everybody's worship experience, didn't it? It uh, does matter. Form and experience does matter. Second uh, Chronicles 26. Uh, Uzziah has zeal for the Lord. Why? I love the Lord so much and he rushes into the holy place. Uh, no. Sorry. You're not, you're from the tribe of Judah. You're not from the tribe of Levi. You're not a Aaronic priest. You may not go. Uh, what does he get? He gets leprosy. Lives the rest of his life as we studied years and years, like 14 years as a leper outside the camp. First um, Samuel. Saul says, well, I'll just offer a whole lot of uh, God told us to go in and wipe out all the Amalekites, uh, you know, and even their animals. Well, I mean, we could offer them as offering. We shouldn't do that. Well, we'll kill them eventually. But so he kept he kept alive um, the animals and the king. And what do they? What, what's God say? What Samuel shows up? What does Samuel say about what God expects? Obedience is better than sacrifice, which of course we sometimes get out of con- uh, out of uh, out of context. Sacrifice that he's commanded is, is obedience. 
obedience to Shema is better than to offer. Uh, so, and make sure that your worship is not vain worship, elevating traditions and rituals to the level above the commandments of God. It doesn't make tradition wrong. Understand something. Traditions are very good. They are context for us. They help us main, maintain a familiarity, for especially for children, passing it on to our generations that follow us. Traditions are not bad, provided the traditions enhance or support the commandments of God as opposed to undoing them or rising above them in importance. So it's important for us to remember that in our worship that we uh, keep ritual to the level that God expects and something that brings greater obedience to him. Lastly, in Isaiah chapter 6, true worship, here's the, here's the picture of Isaiah 6. Holy, holy, holy is what Isaiah heard. He saw the Lord in his temple. And he heard the angels saying, holy, holy, holy. And what does it say that the angels do? How often do they do that? Did they do that just for Isaiah's sake? Without ever stopping. Day and night, they're declaring the difference between holy and the common. They're declaring him to be holy above all. So we need to remember that this is not something that we do by ritual. When we stand and say the Shema, when we engage in prayer, liturgical prayer or, 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 or uh, uh, prayer that's spontaneous, remembering that that these are these are these are methods by which we can worship God but the true worship the true worship is the things that we do every moment of the day those back it up so that when we stand and say the Shema the week that preceded that was consistent with what we say we take your yoke upon us your king your one God we take your yoke upon us and we act like it not just today and with lesser degree tomorrow, but every day. Every day as holy in the sense that we live holy to Him. Let's bow down and fear Him. Let's close in prayer. Father, we do thank You for the opportunity to worship You. We ask that You might go with us as we go to worship You in a service this morning. Lord, not that we uh, confuse what it is to worship, but Father, we begin uh, this renewed uh, renewed understanding of worship uh, by recognizing your kingship, bringing you praise and honor and glory and service. But Father, more importantly, as we leave, that we carry this burden, this burden and this duty to worship you in everything that we say and do. And we know that the words of our Master are true. This is not a difficult burden. This is a light burden. For you are truly worthy of worship, truly worthy of the deeds that we can do that bring you honor and glory. We pray in Yeshua's name. Amen.